As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Glad to be here today. Well, I'm glad you're here as well. I'm, I'm always glad to be able to connect. Uh, um, and so I'm here to talk to you about your book today. And uh, the book is called uh, Dancing with the Mountains, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, I always do it backwards. Welcome to the Ozark Mountain Publishing author series. And so today is your turn to discuss your book and how it came about, what your inspiration was. So I guess without any further ado, let me ask you to, to get uh, into your background information and how uh, the book came about. My background information. Well, I, I like to tell people I dabble in the literary arts. Uh, I had a number of books uh, published over the years. Uh, probably my claim to fame was in 1991, I did a book about Pearl Harbor, uh, which made the bestseller list. I tell people it made the bestseller list for uh, two days, six hours, and 10 minutes until the next Pearl Harbor book came out. But uh, that, that was my claim to fame. Uh, also <laughs> did a, a, a book on the Patapsco River called the Patapsco Baltimore River History. Uh, did a book about the old Baltimore Colts, the old NFL team. That's now somewhere in the Midwest. <laughs> known as the Midwest Colts. And the title <laughs> of that book was The Cowgirl and the Colts. Uh, also did a book, uh, a young adult novel called Flight of the Shadow Drummer, which was about a Civil War drummer. And of course, my latest book is, as you said, is Dancing with the Mountains. And this didn't start out to be a book at all. Uh, what it transpired was in 2009, I had uh, retired from gainful employment. And some people question whether I was ever gainfully employed in my life or not. And one of my bucket list dreams was to hike the Appalachian Trail. And that's what I did. And the inspiration for hiking the Appalachian Trail came from my father. Uh, when I was nine years old, we were at a state park in Maryland, Patapsco State Park. There, there's the connection with the Patapsco River book, right? Uh, and I'll never forget this day. We were down by the river, the Patapsco River. And they had a swinging bridge and we didn't walk too far or too fast. And my father said, when we got done, he said, one day we're going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And that hit me like a thunderbolt. I had no idea 
what or where the Appalachian Trail was. I know it sounds exotic, right? It sounded uh, like an Indian trail, the Appalachian Trail. And those words stuck in my mind. And then years later, I actually worked as a park ranger at Patapsco State Park. And then later on in 2008 now, uh, my father was a late stage Alzheimer's patient. And I was getting ready to retire. And I was cleaning out my desk drawer and I came upon uh, these articles about the Appalachian Trail. Uh, of course, now this is back in the late, uh, let's see. Oh, these articles were from the 1980s, kind of before the computer age. And they said, well, if you want more information, go to your local library or write the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. But that 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 put the seed in my mind about hiking the Appalachian Trail. And then I went home to my wife. Uh, her trail name was Rainbow Bright Bright for short. And I said, I got this faint epiphany. I said, we're going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And she said, when? I said, well, as soon as I retire. But I had to get my foot fixed because I was suffering from stiff toe. So I had trouble walking. So in 2008, I had surgery to repair my foot. In the fall of 2008, my wife and I, we started taking training hikes. And in March of 2009, I retired. Uh, had cake and punch on that Friday. Uh, that Monday, my wife and I woke up at Springer Mountain, Georgia, ready to head out for 2,178 miles at the Appalachian Trail. So that's how that's how the book started. Uh, as I said, I did not set out to write a book. There have been a number of books written about the Appalachian Trail, most of them trail journals. When I got done, people said to me, they said, they said, wow, they said, Paul, you've got quite a story. They said, you had some fantastic fantastic experiences, met some extraordinary people. They said, you should do a book as a healing process for other families who are experiencing disease such as Alzheimer's, dementia, or, or cancer or anything like that. And so that's, I took their advice to heart. I, I sat down and finally, after a couple of years, I put it all together. And then I thought, wow, I thought this is, uh, People would read it and they'd say, oh, it's not a trail journal. They said it was more of a spiritual journey. So I started looking for a publisher and then I found Ozark Mountain Publishing. Uh, I sent them a query letter. Uh, they sent, later sent them the manuscript. They liked it, offered a contract, and the rest is publishing history. So uh, please do tell then, uh, let's, you know, get full fully into the book then. Um, so what... So basically, what was it that then, um, I guess, were you, were you, so was it, was it an epiphany or was it something that was happening to you while you were on this trail? Can you please describe that a little bit more? It was the events on the trail. Uh, when I started out, uh, my sole purpose, I was going on 59 years old, uh, I guess my goal was to prove that 60 was the new 40 hmm. or try to prove that. Right. You know, and then I guess from the very first week, you know, it dawned on me, this is going to be more of a physical journey. It's going to be an emotional journey. And then it turned out to be a spiritual journey. And 
that was through the people I met at the beginning on the trail. And I, I tell the young people that are hiking, uh, if you want to experience the trail, you know, it's not just the hikers that you meet. It's the people that, the day hikers, it's the people in the town. And uh, I equate this hike as, I don't know if you're familiar with the El Camino de Santiago, the Pilgrim's Way. No, I'm not. Uh, it, it's it's a pilgrimage trail, dates back hundreds of years from medieval times, uh, runs, traditionally runs from southern France, uh, Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Pau to uh, the Compostela de Santiago. So it is probably close to 500 miles. And this is the route that the pilgrims have to a spiritual journey. And when I got done hiking, I realized that I had experience a spiritual journey. The Appalachian Trail had become my El Camino de Santiago. Mm, okay. So uh, please, please continue. I don't want to. I want to want to stifle you. Uh, your, your so thoughts. It, it it began really the first day. So my wife and I we got down to Springer Mountain, Georgia. That is the uh, southern terminus, and traditionally. Uh, the hike went from south to north, ended up in Mount Katahdin, Maine. So we went down uh, a day or two earlier. I had a shuttle ride to the parking lot near Springer Mountain. Uh, you had to hike down a mile to the official starting point. And there was there was an elderly gentleman there. He was kind of the gatekeeper. His, his trail name was Many Sleeps. Elderly gentleman uh, with white hair and a beard. Who signed you in and you know gave you some advice and and answered some of your questions? So we had to walk, we had to backtrack to the parking lot, and there was a kiosk there in the parking lot, you know, just a kind of sign thing about the Appalachian Trail. And there was a gentleman standing there, and he was dressed in green. Uh, I, I took him for a a maybe a state park employee or maybe a national park employee. So as we passed, he stopped and chit chatted with us. So he said that he was a through hiker. He had done it a couple times before and he would come out. He lived nearby and every year he would come out at this time and just to meet and greet the hikers. And then I asked him his trail name and he said his trail name was Pilgrim. And I'm thinking, I heard this name somewhere before, right? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of same trail names, Pilgrim. So we're talking, and he asked us where we're from, and I said, parked in Maryland, just north of Baltimore. And he said then, Wingheart. And Wingheart was the trail name for a gentleman named, named Mike Winger. And I said, know him. I said, he was my trail mentor. I said, he's the guy I went to before I started. He gave me all the books, gave me all the videos, supplied me with all the information about the trail. And then I find out that this gentleman, Pilgrim, and Wingheart were longtime hiking buddies. So that was really the kind of the first experience when I said, boy, you know, I'm not just on a hike here. And then later on, uh, a few days later, we got into, uh, I, I guess it was our first stop after Blood Mountain, the, uh, the outdoor store. And uh, we met some uh, trail angels, really. Our, well, I'll back that up. The second day out, we met our first trail angel at a road crossing. And the gentleman's name was Mark Jordan. And he was a big burly guy. 
kind of looked like a young Santa Claus type. And he had an Army field jacket on that indicated he was with the Army Rangers. And then I noticed one gentleman was coming up to talk to people. He had a, a puppy in his arm, and on his feet he had sandals with socks. <laughs> and I <laughs> took this guy to be, you know, looked to be an old hippie kind of guy. But he actually was a former Army Ranger, an officer in the United States Army. And talking with him, he he would now he was involved with trail photography, uh, and I guess he had, he had a, a he was a counselor. I called him a trail mystic. And before we were talking with him, he said, "Paul," he said, "You know," he said, uh, "You're a stranger in a strange land out here." He said, "This is really your first long distance hike." I said, "Yes, it is." He said, "You know, you're going to relive every moment you had in your life ten thousand times or more over." He said, but keep moving to the light. That was his words to me. Keep moving to the light. He said, and the longer you go on the trail, he said, the brighter the light will get. So that was, I'm thinking, oh man, what what, what kind of what kind of hike is this? Right. <laughs> right. And then later on at the uh we had our first uh I want to get this right here. I don't want to misspell the name of this. Sure. Uh, we were coming down Blood Mountain, uh, and my wife and I, we, we, had, we had a kind of a really rough first day, uh, our second day. We, we got stuck in a, a monsoon next to a mountain stream, and we were so exhausted because we hiked 16 miles in, in a downpour, and we only were supposed to hike 10 or 12 miles. So we found a flat spot next to this stream, and I, we pitched a tent in, like I said, in a downpour, got in our sleeping bags. We were exhausted. Then the next day we woke up and my wife said to me, she said, did you hear the whoosh? I said, what whoosh? She said, you didn't hear the big whoosh? She said, it sounded like a tidal wave coming down the mountain. I said, nah. I said, I was sound asleep. So we got outside our tent and by now it had stopped raining. And, and we're looking, I'm looking around and I could see where the water line was right in back of the tent. I thought, my goodness, you know, but for the grace of God, we could have been swept down the side of the mountain. And the only way they would have found us is by our, you know, bright orange and, and bright green sleeping bags. So after that, we came into. I'm going to get the name for you because I always mispronounce this. Neil Gap. And at Neil Gap. There is a store called the Wallace Yi Mountain Crossings at Wallace Yi, and it's an outdoor store there. So there we had our first encounter with a trail angel, and the lady's name was Susan Miles, and she ran an Appalachian Trail Ministry. And what she was doing was she was cooking hamburgers for hikers that were passing through. So that was she's a trail angel. Uh, what trail angels do for you on the trail is called trail magic. So she cooked hamburgers. And my wife and I, we were hiking down Blood Mountain, which was a steep hike, steep, rocky hike. And we didn't have much sleep the night before. And we're about halfway down the mountains. And I said to my wife, I said, do you smell that? I said, we're like bloodhounds. She says, yeah. I said, what's it smell like? She says, it smells like cheeseburgers. Well, we bolted <laughs> down the mountain to get down to the 
to the outfitter and Susie was there setting up her grill. And then she said, well, she said, we don't serve for another two hours. So we had a chance to speak and exchange stories with her. And I said, I said, well, what are you doing? I says, you just serve hamburgers to hikers because I didn't know uh, exactly what her ministry was about. And she said, oh, no, Paul. She said, we do more than that. She said, we don't do trail magic for the sake of trail magic. She says, we do divine appointments. I said, you do divine appointments? She said, yeah, all the pikers that stop by and have a hamburger are divine appointments. We're here to nurture them spiritually. And I says, and then she looked at me and she says, especially you. She said, because you're a through hiker, you're going to hike the whole trail. And my wife, she was not a through hiker. She just set out to hike the first 50 miles or 100 miles with me and the last 100 miles with me because uh, she just wanted to be a part of the hike, which was called Herm's Hike, a fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association. So that was really the purpose of the hike, to give some kind of meaning uh, to me, my family, especially my mother, for my father's disease. Because my mother was shattered by my father's Alzheimer's. It, it shook her. Uh, religious foundation to the roots. You know, she lost her faith in God. She lost her faith in the Catholic Church about how, uh, and this is a typical response you hear, you know, from the Holocaust on, how a merciful God could allow these kind of things to happen. And then probably toward the end of the trail, I had some answers for it. But at this point in time, you know, I was clueless as she was. And then Susie Miles said to me, she said, she said, it was no coincidence that you stopped here today for a hamburger. She said, walk with Christ and connect the dots. And as I went farther down the trail, I realized that connecting the dots was kind of a uh, my cosmic portrait, to draw or fill out my cosmic portrait. And... It seems like each week that went by, you know, I was con connecting more dots along the trail. And so uh, how long, uh, so did you kind of pre-plan how long this trip is going to take you? Or do they kind of give you an estimate based on previous hikers that say, and right about time you should start here and arrive there? Six months. Six months, is, wow. Six months is the, uh, is the norm. Uh, we started, I believe it was March 30th, and I was scheduled to, you know, we programmed mileage and taken day, zero days, days off, that I would be done uh, sometime mid-end of September. And, you know, they say it's 5 million steps. So, <laughs> the year they, went, they, it was 2,178.3 miles. So, yeah, that's a lot of steps. And the question so, of my age, did I have that many steps left in my feet? Mm. And so are there any, uh, let me just ask you, I'm sorry, are there any specific um, camping sites or do you just find uh, a spot wherever you find more suitable? Uh, they have shelters along the way, three-sided shelters. They're called lean-tos up in Maine, but uh, they had designated campsites and three-sided shelters, which was normally everybody would congregate for the evening. Of course, the problem was when you started off in the beginning, 
you know, you have a great number of hikers and gradually as you move on, it thins out. So when you start off, a lot of the shelters are full. So you have to find a place to uh, pitch your tent. And normally next to the shelters, there were adjacent campgrounds. Uh, not all of them flat, but you did have a place to, to pitch your tent in you know, and spend the night. Man, you know, I was not aware that it's actually, t- that's quite a feat. So here you are, you talk to, I guess you first, you first, uh, I'm sorry, what would you call them again? Your trail, trail angels. angels. Yeah. Around Susie Miles and her Appalachian Trail Ministry. Yeah. And so um, what other conversations did you guys have over did you soon after leave after you had your burgers? Uh, you talking about after Susie Miles. Right, because did you did you eventually still get your burger? Because you said that she said oh, it would yes. take two yeah, hours. We, yeah, we stayed and got our burgers. Okay, <laughs> and we were kind of exhausted, so we spent the night in a uh, in a hostel just down the road, and then the next day we came back. Uh, Susie was there again, cooking hamburgers, and then you know we were headed down to the trail, and then it was you know. Uh, It was looking forward to see, you know, what the next adventure was. Uh, We had come down, as I mentioned, we had come down Blood Mountain, which was a famous uh, site in Cherokee history and Cherokee lore. Famous battle took place there with another Indian tribe, and supposedly the uh, mountain ran red with blood. And what I found interesting about the Cherokee Nation was, uh, and here here it is, you know, the whole idea of, of communing with nature. You know, they believed in this balance between man and nature. Uh, and when that when that balance was out of whack, you know, man was out of whack with his world. Uh, they believed, you know, the, the, the great spirit created Mother of Earth, and we were supposed to live in that kind of harmony with Mother Nature. And, and you know, I kind of really embraced that belief uh, the farther I went along the trail. Okay, well, Paul, please continue then. And what, uh, um, you know, what, what were the other more, I guess, I guess every every interaction is important, but the things that you would like to cover and talk about uh, on your trail as you continued from that point on? As I headed, as I headed north, uh, like I says, my wife, trail named Bright, she wanted to hike the first 100 miles, but unfortunately she developed hip problems uh and she could only do 50 miles and uh you know she was kind of disappointed uh glum because you know she was going home earlier than what she wanted and and i tried to cheer up i said to her you know i said look she says i quit she said i quit i i I wanted my goal was 100 miles she said i trained for this I, i said look i said you hiked 50 of the hardest miles on the trail to start out with I said, and really, you didn't quit. I said, the mountain told you to go home. I said, so, and then she said, well, she said, you know, I'll be ready because we're from, I'm from Maryland. So she said, well, I'll be ready to hike with you when you get to Maryland, and I'll be ready to hike when we get to Mount Katahdin. And little did I know, my words proved most prophetic for me because later on, I was the one that fell and got hurt up in Vermont and had to stop my hike that year and pick it up the following year. And then as, as I left her and went down the trail, 
uh, I guess that's where I, I really started to meet all these people and I really started connecting dots. I started to find more dots. And one of the most intriguing stories, and you know, when I told people I was hiking as a fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association, uh, that was kind of a calling card that, that opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, you know, uh, I guess people normally who wouldn't be receptive, you know, they think, oh man, this guy's a trail bum or he's some kind of stalker or, or con man or hobo. You know, they, they really took me into their hearts. And when I got back, I hiked a couple days while Bright was in uh, a trail town. And there was a lightning up on Albert Mountain. And there was a rumor that a hiker got struck by lightning. And she thought maybe it was me. So when I met her in town, we got off, you know, we got picked up uh, at the trailhead by uh, one of the hostel owners and a trail bus. Um, I stepped off the bus and boy, she came running up with open arms and tears in her eyes. And then I told her later on, yeah, I was up on top of that mountain and when lightning struck, I said, I was so darn close that it actually knocked me to the ground. And, you know, I didn't tell her that then. But then when we were exchanging stories, she said, she said, I got a great Alzheimer's story for you. So when she was in town, she was helping the, uh, gentleman's name was Ron Haven. He had, he had a couple uh, motels and hostels in town and she was just helping him behind the desk and all. And she met this lady who her trail name was Elia and her husband had Alzheimer's and she had been his primary caretaker. And she was physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. And she decided that she was going to take off a year and hike the trail with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, and come to some grips with her husband's disease. And she had, I guess she had uh, realized this disease and the finality of it and that she had taken off her wedding ring. And she was not going to come off the trail for a year. Because she, I guess she was in a, in a spiritual search herself. Uh, you know, she had dabbled with oh, Judaism, Buddhism, uh, of course, you know, uh, various various religions. But uh, she couldn't find anything to answer her questions about the mystery of life and the problem with her husband's disease. So she was looking to nature for an answer. And my wife got to talk with her extensively. And I'm kind of really sorry. I didn't get to meet with her and talk with her, but we had a lot in common because we were in the same, really the same boat. 
when I retired from work, uh, my father went into the nursing home in 2006. Uh, here it was now, uh, early 2009. He was in the late stage of the Alzheimer's disease, and, and I was worn to a frazzle. Uh, I was taking my mother to the nursing home a couple times a week after work. I was stopping there on the weekends, of course, taking my mother and other family members on the weekends. I was also physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. And I, w- I was looking for something that would uh, explain something about my father's disease. And at the end of the hike, uh, when my mother was dying from cancer, you know, I, 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 t- I told her, look, from my experiences on the trail, and you're going to have to believe this, I said, we're all here for a purpose. You know, it's to serve someone else or to serve others. We don't know what that purpose is. I said, maybe we'll get a glimpse of it while we're here on earth. But I said, probably it's going to be a big mystery until we pass on. And, you know, along the way, people gave me words of wisdom and words to live by. that uh, I was finally had a new outlook on my own uh, spirituality at, at the end of my hike. But was it, um, I know you kind of had an inkling, I guess you said in the beginning, but was it just getting weirder and weirder for you as you kept moving forward and different people would give you, leave you with different pieces of the message? You know, was it just, how, yes. what was you feeling? How, how did that feel, you know, kind of connecting those dots and seeing like, wait a minute, this gives a right. bigger the picture more I hiked, since the more miles I put behind me, uh, the more people I was meeting. And... I guess the, uh, I think maybe what attracted the Ozark Mountain people to the book was the fact that, you know, it was a spiritual journey, but I had a couple of, I guess you would call them transcendent experiences. And the first one was on Klingman's Dome. Uh, this was about well, a couple of weeks into the hike. Uh, we were at Fontana Dam, and I called home to speak to my wife, and she said, she said, you've got to come home. The FBI is at our house. I said, what? <laughs> I said, you got to do better than that. I said, That's she said, no. She said, the FBI is looking for you. Okay. And here's the background of that story. I worked for a federal agency. So I was ready to retire. I, I signed on to be a part of a whistleblower complaint because I thought I was out of the arms of the reach of these people. But I was not. And what they did was the agency where I worked at, uh, they contacted the FBI and said I had threatened to blow up the building. You know, I had physically accosted and assaulted employees, which were were total fabrications, but they had to follow through with this. So, oh boy, I had to get off the trail and come home and hire a lawyer, meet with the FBI agents and explain what the heck was going on. And what what your agency wanted, they wanted me to officially retire because I had retired on terminal leave. So I wasn't officially uh, terminated with the federal government. But once I submitted my officially my retirement papers and retired, then uh, I'd have no recourse as far as a whistleblower's complaint or or any type of investigation. And that and that's what happened. Uh, I, I, I went home, boy, this was a whirlwind week. I went home, uh, hired a lawyer, met with the FBI agents. Uh, day later he called and said, it's been cleared, went back to the trail. 
a few days later, I called home, and this was a Friday now. I said, any news? And my wife said, well, she says, at close of business today, you have been officially retired from federal employment. So a process that took normally 60 to 90 days took three days. And when I called my lawyer up the following week when I got into town, he said, he said, Paul, he said, your case had the commanding general's attention. He said, that's why it received the uh, priority that it did. So that kind of sets the stage for meeting my guardian angel. Now, I was at Fontana Dam. I had 40 miles to go to get to the road to get down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee uh, to rent a car and come home. So I, I, I tried to hitch a ride, couldn't do it. And I thought, well, it's only 40 miles. I can hike that in a couple of days. Uh, that was my first mistake, assuming that, because I hadn't hiked big miles like that. So the first day I hiked 20-something miles in the pouring rain. Uh, higher elevations, it started to snow and sleet. The second day, I thought, well, I'm going to get to uh, the Gap and get a ride down to Gatlinburg. And I thought, well, you know, I'm on the ridge line. Well, there's no easy miles on the Appalachian Trail. So the more I hiked that day, uh, it was raining hard, then started turning to sleet. And there was a shelter a few miles from Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point on the trail. So it was late afternoon when I stopped in this shelter, and it was packed with people because they were waiting out the storm. And they said, you know, they said, we got space. And I said, well, I said, I, I got to get to Gatlinburg. I said, I got emergency family business to attend. Uh, so I went back out, took a break, went back out into the weather and started hiking up Clingman's Dome. And by now I was totally exhausted. I had hiked close to 20 miles. Uh, the, the rain had turned to sleet, had started to, to snow. Fog was whirling, swirling. The wind was blowing and I was physically exhausted. And I had my Gore-Tex jacket on, but, uh, you know, you sweat so much that you sweat from the inside, the Gore-Tex really doesn't become helpful. So here I am, I'm hiking up this steep mountain. And now, like I said, I'm exhausted. So every couple hundred yards, I'm falling to the ground, leaning on my backpack, and it was a Sunday, and I'm going, Lord, need some help here. The old altar boy, in a reference to, you know, my Catholic upbringing, you know, I'm waiting, <laughs> nothing. I got up again, walked a couple hundred yards, fell to the ground, leaned back, took a sip of water and said, Lord, I'm still here waiting for this help, right? <laughs> Nothing. Again, I get up, I hike up another couple hundred yards and it was only a couple miles to get to the top of Clingman's Dome. And, I, you know, I fell back on the backpack and I'm going, oh, Lord, waiting, waiting for you to come, give me some help. And then I hear these rocks slide, pebbles slide next to me and I look up and I see the pant leg like a jogging pant leg of this guy. And I thought maybe it was a bear or a boar or something. You know, I'm getting a little worried here. And this guy, I look up at him, and here I'm, you know, I'm crying out in vain for uh, heavenly help. And I was a little embarrassed by it. And this guy looks at me <laughs> and he goes, I heard you're from above. <laughs> I heard me from above. Uh, that's what he said. So he's got my interest. And I'm at a loss for words. And he looks at me and says, you're almost at the top. He said, just take it one step at a time, and you'll be there before you know it. I said, oh, okay. So he, he says, well, I, I got to move on down the trail. And this gentleman was not a hiker. 
like I said, he had like jogging pants. Uh, he had like a, a, a long sleeve t-shirt, like a base layer shirt. And he had a knit hat. So, he, and by now the fog was really closing on playing his dome. So he disappeared under the fog. And I thought, what the heck just happened here? Here's a guy that says, uh, you know, I heard you from above. You're almost there. You know, have faith one step at a time and you'll make it. So I've stood up and I tried to take a few steps back to where he was trying to talk to this guy. So I screamed into the fog. I says, where are you headed? There was a pause. A few seconds later, I hear this, the same place you are. And I said, where's that? He said, home. And I'm like, whoa, I never told this guy I had to go home. Matter of fact, I didn't really talk to this guy that, that much. And I thought, wow, this is this is mysterious. And then a, a few, uh, I'd say about a week later, I met up with some people that were at that shelter where I stopped. We were at a trail town in Hot Springs, uh, North Carolina. And I saw them uh, having, having dinner at a pub there. And they called me over to the table. And I said, did you guys see anybody on the trail? And they said, Paul, they said, the last person we saw that day was you. And I looked, and there were no turnarounds uh, on the trail. And when I got to Clingman's Dome, it was completely covered in fog. So I kind of, I actually could barely see my hand in front of my face. So I had to search for the trail, and I got down to the parking lot where they have, because the Clingman's Dome, it's like a, a small tower where you can get panoramic views of the, of the mountain vistas. And there was not a car in the parking lot. And I thought, wow, this this was my first, I guess, uh, spiritual experience. Was this gentleman my guardian angel? I think he was. Was he a random hiker? I don't think he was a random hiker to be out in that weather uh, at that hour of the day. And like I said, that was just kind of the uh, really started to open up my uh my eyes as to as to what was going on with this journey because like i said uh mostly spiritually i was hurting from my father's disease and the way it affected was having all my family and i you know I, I was i was in great spiritual and i would say emotional and psychological pain and these encounters just uh kind of started to fill my heart up with, with what this trail hike was supposed to be about and that was the first and there were more to come. So, well, you know, Paul, I'm pretty sure, you you know, we could be sitting here and I could be asking you about every single one of them you have in the book. But I'm hoping that people actually, you know, get the book and read the rest for them for themselves. But the other question that I have is, so after all this journey, after everything you've been been through, what was kind of generally, what were you left with that you didn't have before? Here, here was the essence of the hike. When I got done on my Facebook page for religion, I put transcend naturism. And then I put enhancing your relationship with God through the divinity of nature. And yeah, that was the crux of my hike. And, and I, I tell people that, you know, looking back, as I cope with all these adventures, I finally came to understand that 
nature is not only the handiwork of God, it is the hand of God that leads us on a unique spiritual journey. Uh, you know, we're all in this thing together. That's what I came uh, to understand. And, and at one of the hostels, there was another, the lady that ran the hostel. Uh, it was the Greasy Creek Friendly Hostel. Great place. Great lady that ran was in Bain by CC. And she was on her own spiritual journey. Uh, and she was exploring, uh, she was going through kind of a religious epiphany herself. And we had a chance, we got socked in by weather. So I spent like two days there. So we had a chance to talk in the evening. And when she drove us back to the trailhead, and these words stuck in my mind forever. Because I had mentioned about my experience at Klingman's Dome and what I said was my trail angel. And she said, hmm, good possibility. And then when we were talking, she says, I always remember this, Paul, as you go down the trail now. She said, you could be the answer to someone else's prayers. And she said, most likely every day, you are the answer to someone's prayers and your kindness and compassion. And that's the word that stuck with me for the rest of my hike. Yeah, that's very profound. Pretty heavy you know, stuff so, there. <laughs> so, this, so this trail, um, I'm sorry if I missed it maybe in the beginning, if you maybe said something about this. So, it's, I mean, surely not every single person that goes down on this trail solely does it for, for spiritual reasons. It just so turns out that it, in a way, turns into that. I guess because, what, do you have enough time for yourself and there's enough enough happenings on the trail that everyone gets something spiritual from it? Correct. Most most of the people out on the trail are in their 20s and 30s, uh, just out of college, just out of the first job. Uh, to them, it's the physical challenge. I think mm -hmm. the older hikers like myself, you know, uh, we're looking at less years than more years, you know, the final chapter of our lives. And we still have some uh, questions about the mystery of mysteries of life that have not been answered. And the place to find those answers is certainly in nature and certainly on the Appalachian Trail. And as I said earlier, I said the Appalachian Trail became my kind of El Camino de Santiago, where uh, the trail became a spiritual journey for me. And it was like, you know, the, the angel I met at Clingman's Dome uh, was the first of the transcendent experiences I had. And I had a couple more, you know, and the readers can read about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Certainly. Paul, I mean, this was this was very intriguing. As you were telling the story, I would just, you know, my own version of imagining how how that that area looked, how, what that situation, you know, felt like. Because not mean doesn't look like it now, but you know, for for long periods of time in my life, um, I was a very outdoorsy person and constantly camping, sleeping on any rock there is, you know, out there. So just kind of using my own experiences as you you know, telling me about downpour rains and how many times I went through all that and how that must have felt. So I don't know. This I, I'm not kidding you when I say this might be something I'll suggest to my wife and see when the kids are a bit more grown up to see if we can take up, take up this challenge. Yes, by all means do. I think when you, when you get out there in the elements uh, and you're with your own thoughts and you have time to reflect on those thoughts and your lifetime and the, you know, in the beauty of nature, and, and, and some parts of the trail were just, they were magnificent. It was, you know, you, you, words could not describe uh, the vistas that were before you. And right. I, I think, you know, you, even if you're not a religious person, I think you'll develop 
a sense of spirituality that, you know, there's more there than what meets the eye. Right. Well, Paul, thank you very much for the stories and giving us a pretty good sense, you know, what, what else is entailed in the book. And, you know, it sounds very exciting and riveting. Definitely, definitely a read to be had, especially if you have to, you know, if it's raining out or just even if you have some time just to pick up the book and, and read about it just to get, get a sense of an adventure. Because I, I tell people, you know, they say, well, how would you categorize categorize your book? And uh, are you familiar with uh, Bill Bryson's book, A Walk in the Woods? Oh, no, I'm not. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with Bill Bryson, the travel author? No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not. Okay. Well, he started to – he wrote famous travel writer, Bill Bryson. You know, he wrote a book about his Appalachian Trail journey which he didn't finish the Appalachian Trail, and it was called The Walk in the Woods. And I, I think about four or five years ago, it was made into a movie starring Robert Redford and Nick Nolte. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a story about friendship against the background of the Appalachian Trail. You know, rather than really go to all the hardships. When I tell people my book is the spiritual response to Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. I said, if you know, it, it's not a trail journal. It's really a love story set against the background of the Appalachian Trail. You know, a love story between fathers and sons, husbands and wives, you know, and family members. And I think as, as the readers, you know, as, as they go down the trail with me, they'll see how these experiences really kind of expanded my own sense of, uh, of spirituality. And a lot since I was hiking for the Alzheimer's Association, a lot of the people I met there. Uh, we're experiencing the same thing that my, that me and my family were, were were experiencing as as far as dealing with this uh, disease, and you know, and every family, I don't, I would say every response was different, but no, every response was similar in that uh, there was a lot of uh, a despair. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's like we've been forsaken with this. You know, why did this happen to my loved one? And, and if I could. But let, 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 me, let me leave you with probably one of the most touching Alzheimer's stories I, I had. Sure. I, w I was up in Massachusetts, at Falls Village. And the hike, the trail went through this little town, you know, and we follow white blazes. That's the trail, these two by six inch white blazes. And it was morning and there was a little power plant there. And it was like a little town I could see off to the side. And I had stopped to take a break. And this lady was just out walking. And so we just started chit-chatting. And I, I said, I, I said, wow, I said, man, I would love to get a fresh cup of coffee and a donut, this kind of thing. And she said, well, Paul, she said, the town really closed up. She said, the stores, you know, are all boarded up. And we just started talking. And then I mentioned that I was hiking as a fundraiser for the Alzheimer's. And my father was a late-stage Alzheimer's patient. Well, she reached forward, grabbed me in a bear hug. And tears are streaming down her face. And I, I was kind of shocked, you know, I was I was startled, not jock startled. And then she backs off and she starts apologizing, wiping tears from her face. She's going, Oh, Paul. She said, I'm so sorry. She said, you know. And I said, No, no, I said, this is good. And, and she says, I dealt my family has dealt with Alzheimer's. And she said, Would you like to hear my story? I said, Well, absolutely. I said, you know, that's why I'm out here, really. To give comfort to people. Well, the 
the previous year in 2008, her father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And what he did was he committed suicide by placing a bag over his head. And I, I'm sitting here getting goosebumps just thinking about this story. And that was just one aspect of it. And, I, and that woman's tears, I, 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 I swear on a, whatever that those tears stained my shirt for the next couple of days. That's, you know, that's, that was heavy tears. And then a few days later, I was coming into uh, the town of Salisbury, Connecticut. And I see this elderly couple coming up the trail. I mean, they looked like they were in the race. And they were kind of very natally dressed, you know. They looked like the, uh, fashion hikers from maybe the 20s or something. And I, the gentleman came up, and we started talking. And they said, oh, my wife's right behind me. And he said, my daughter's right behind her. So we came up. We all got. We were all on top of this uh, little hill, big hill. And I could see by the the older woman's eyes that she was, you know, had dementia and Alzheimer's. So I was speaking with the daughter and she confirmed that. And she said, she said, my mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She said, my father is in the early stage of Alzheimer's. She said, but they like to get out. And she said, I will do everything in my power to make sure that these years are the most comfortable that they can and enjoyable that they can have. So here in in a few days time, I had two sides of this Alzheimer's dilemma and gave you a lot of time to think about, you know, how I was reacting and how my family was reacting to the disease. And I hope people. Yeah, because, be yeah, because you didn't set out to meet all these people that had that Alzheimer's connection. No, yeah, that's very interesting. And not, not, not at all. I it, it just, like I said, at the beginning, when I mentioned I was hiking for the Alzheimer's Association, kind of a calling card. You know, people open their homes and open their hearts and also open wallet to donate to my hike. But boy, some of the stories I got were just uh, stunning. Right. Well, right, yes. right. Well, Paul, I mean, is there any other, uh, in, uh, in, in conclusion, is there anything else you want to uh, leave us with? I, w I would just like to tell people you don't have to. Go on a long-distance hike for a pilgrimage or spiritual journey. Uh, you can get the same thing from whether, you know, there's a state park in your area or any kind of park where there's a walking or hiking trail just to get out and commune with nature. You know, get just get out there and be part of nature. That's the healing process. And I always thought, boy, some of these uh, nursing homes, and boy, you know, I experienced that with my father. Maybe they should be out next to the woods, the wilderness or wildlife area, because, you know, I, I think it would put the patients, some of these patients more at ease. And that would be my, my word to people. Get out there and become part of nature. Heal your heart and heal your soul through the power of nature. Well, Paul, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So I'm going to make sure to have um, all the links to your book and any other information in the description below this video. Uh, thank you again for um, having this talk with me today. And um, wow, what a story. So thank pleasure. you again. I hope we can do this again sometime. And uh, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, you take care, Paul.
Have a good day.